Now I will be transitioning with Parker Wells. Hi. Hi, I'm Parker. Um, I didn't realize I, you're going to be stuck with me twice in a row. So that's, uh, that's excellent. Excellent news. Um, let me set up my screen. Great. Well, thanks for having me uh, uh, into your club and uh, here to make a, a presentation. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about this, the starting team, the founding team, and equity, so splitting up equity between founders um, of your startup. And if none of that made sense because you don't know what founding and equity means, that's fine. I'll get there. Um, but this is just sort of the topic that I want to cover. Um, I also want to say one thing before we get started uh, in earnest, and it's essentially, sorry, it's basically that in reality, you might ignore everything that I'm saying today, because when thinking back to how I founded companies and, and, and um, formed a team, really a lot of the times what happens is you desperately need to get something done. You don't have money to pay that person. And so you start, you start adding founders because really you're not necessarily thinking about like the ideal perfect way to identify exactly every member of the team. In reality, you're a founder. You have 10 fires that are going on and like you realize that this person could help you put out that fire and you're going to like identify that person and secure that person and add them to your team. Um, and you might not... I don't know. In reality, this is how it seems like it, it tends to work. But um, the more planning you do, the better position you probably are to, to have a really strong team. So um, I'm going to give you guidelines about things you might want to think about and might want to work on um, in terms of putting together a strong founding team and how you want to discuss equity and things like that. But like, I also recognize that, um, you know, it, founding teams are, or teams are um, kind of a challenge. Uh, and, and a lot of the times you're going to be putting together a team based on who's available to you at the moment, not necessarily like identifying that first person and, and you know, courting them for three months and that kind of thing. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is that there, you know, is definitely more of an art than a science. So you will find really good counterexamples um, in successful companies to every recommendation I give. Um, that's just how it is. That's how all startup things tend to be. Um, I'm just trying to give you a good path. I'm not going to claim that this is the only path. Okay, so uh, what I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk about sort of general overview, and then we'll talk about um, kind of how to, how to form the team, what to look for, how to bring them on board, how to decide if they are a founder. Then I'm going to talk about um, equity. So, uh, how, you know, how much control everyone gets in the company, how much, you know, ownership everyone gets, how to have those discussions. And then hopefully I'll point you in, in the right direction for like, once you've gotten that, once you've kind of gotten your team ongoing, uh, uh, once you have your team kind of formed, what does that look like in the future? So to get us started, I'm going to start with this video um, from the Techstars Accelerator. 
Um, Techstars, um, this is just an intro speech to a longer uh, video series. Um, I went to Techstars with one of my, with one of my uh, companies. I would say it's the second best accelerator in the world. Um, that's all you see, a kind of controversial statement. Uh, some people will say like five new startups or whatever. Anyway, um, they look at, they've invested in you know, over 2,000 companies. They look at thousands of companies every year. In terms of evaluating teams, they've seen thousands more companies than I have. So if you're gonna look at, um, for other, other sources for advice on how to form a team, uh, Techstars is a good place to look as is Y Combinator. Um, yeah, anyway. Here's the, here's the first intro video. All right, so today we're gonna to talk about uh, founder issues. And I want to apologize for an advance because usually when I give this talk, the mood in the room tends to go down <laughs> a lot. But know that the point of the talk is to help you guys be more successful in your relationships with your founders. All right, so first thing is that about half of you guys will break up at some point in the next few years. Holy shit. So think about that for a minute. That is going to potentially kill your business. If not kill your business, it's certainly gonna be a painful experience for you guys to go through. I'm gonna to try to help you guys not be that company. Right? Statistically, 65% of startups fail because of people issues. Think about that for a minute. It's not because of product market fit. It's not because of funding. It's not because of something else, it's because of people issues. Your business will die, like 65% of you guys are gonna die because of this. Isn't that intense? Okay, so that restarted uh, in an unexpected place, but the rest of it doesn't, that, she hit at least part of what I wanted to get to. Basically, the majority of the reasons companies fail is because of team issues, people issues, right? And so it's very important to form the team that you think is gonna be successful um, and then protect yourself in case the team isn't working out the way you expect. 65% um, seems a little high but um, to me, but again, she's evaluating thousands of companies. I've only seen you know, a handful. Um, and your company will have a lot of people in it, not just founders. You have employees, customers, investors, partners, um, but then co-founders are the people you interact with the most. You're going to see them every day, all day, you know, weekends, nights, you know, you're gonna call each other at three in the morning. You, this, this interpersonal relationship is incredibly important. Um, so, you know, yeah. Anyway, if you have a team already or if you're going to consider having a team in, in the very near future, um, I would suggest, recommend even, listening to the rest of her talk. Um, but, and the link is in the slide. But that's, that's a way to start. Okay. Okay. So just to gauge a little bit of how high level I should make this talk, um, is there like a wave feature or can you visibly show? Um, do you, does everyone know what startup equity is? is? Does anyone know what startup equity is? I see like a nod. I only see like one person. So anyway, thank you. Cannabis Education Club. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with, sure, okay. Anyway, um, Harvard Business School, Stevenson, um, defines entrepreneurship as the pursuit of opportunity beyond resources um, controlled. And 
So I'm going to be talking mostly about startup equity uh, and startup teams. Um, this might be a little uh, elitist, but I actually kind of like hate the word entrepreneurship because I think it's, it's used. Uh, a lot of people try to like use it as a qualification, whereas like to be an entrepreneur, there's inherently no qualifications. That's sort of um, one of the, the core values of being an entrepreneur. Anyway, um, so anyway, being an entrepreneur is not something that anyone should be able to brag about because like the way you become an entrepreneur, you just like state it. Like there's no, you don't earn a degree in it. Anyway, um, in order to be called it. So anyway, the pursuit of opportunity beyond resources controlled. Um, you know, for a startup, this generally means going after really big market opportunities, you know, billion dollar market opportunities. And, you know, you're in your parents' garage or something. So you don't have much in the way of resources. Um, so, you know, you're going to beg, borrow, and steal, preferably not too much of the stealing part, but, you know, you're going to beg and borrow a lot. And you're going to get a lot of investors um, to help you go after that market. So um, this talk is probably going to be mostly relevant for companies that are starting something that's massively scalable. Um, that's not to say that, you know, you can't, that these, a team is a team and you're going to see a lot of, you know, it's applicable a wide, a, wide, a long, a wide array of companies, but, you know, even if you're not starting next Uber. Um, also, if you start a coffee shop, um, you know, that's maybe not, doesn't seem massively scalable, but like uh, Starbucks at some point <laughs> was a startup and is massively scalable. So like, I don't know exactly what the definition there should be. Um, yeah. So that's just how I like to define startups um, and entrepreneurship. So to go um, to do the to do the definitions portion, just as like a, a housekeeping um, thing here. Startup founder, a founder is the person who starts the company. A co-founder is uh, you know a team of people uh, that starts the company together. Or, you know, someone who joins the company soon after it's founded in a position where um, they join the company primarily for what the company will become, the future vision of the company and the future value of the company, not so much the current value, um, meaning like the salary they're getting right now. So that's how I kind of define co-founder. Um, you'll see different definitions online. You know, there's a lot of different ways to, to view it. And I think co-founder something you feel as a team that someone is a co-founder more than, um, I don't know, you define it. But, so, you know, you'll discuss who's a co-founder. You will tell them that they're a co-founder and you will agree on that. Um, co-founder isn't like a, a job title. The job title is something like chief technology officer or like, you know, uh, vice president of engineering or something like that. That's a job title. A, co a founder or co-founder title is something that is, um, not an officer or something like that. It's, you, you, you can be both, but your job title isn't founder. Anyway, um, equity is ownership in the company. Um, so uh, as we'll describe it later, companies have shares or percentages um, and you, which you own a portion of that company. If the company is sold or goes public, the person who owns equity or owns a percentage of the company or shares in that company um, will see a financial benefit from the sale of that entity to another corporation or person. So equity, um, equity is ownership of the company. Um, so if you own 50% and you sell the company for a million dollars, 
you get five hundred thousand dollars. It's it's sort of that simple. Um, before all all the lawyers get involved, so that's sort of how I'm going to talk about equities and kind of this base level of just this is the percentage of ownership that you have. Um, I put a little assumption in here that you currently have. This is my assumption for you guys is that you currently have a startup or you're considering starting a company in the near future. Um, that might not be the case, but this is a startup challenge. So I'm assuming that's true. Okay. This is why Combinator is probably inarguably the best accelerator in the world. Um, so now I'm going to hear what, what uh, he has to say. And I'm only going to play the first three minutes, 20 seconds of this video. If the video gets that far. Here are some of the biggest mistakes first time founders make um, when starting their company and in the first year afterwards. Um, first, I often see founders choosing to solve a problem that they actually don't care about. Um, while this mistake isn't fatal, and while there are many, many examples of uh, founders who've learned to love their product or their problem at a later date, um, one of the things that I do see is that a lot of startups that fail basically fail because they lose motivation to continue working on their, their company. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they actually didn't really like the problem they were working on in the beginning. They were trying to pick a problem that they thought people might want or they thought could grow quickly or they thought might be cool, but it wasn't actually something they were willing to devote a significant amount of time, like you know, five years plus of their life to solving. There was no deep connection to the problem. Um, the second one is helping users you don't care about. Um, you know, we had this experience at Justin TV and Twitch. Um, in the beginning of Justin TV, you know, we were kind of excited by the general idea of democratizing live video and making it easy for anyone online to share live video with their friends. But we weren't actually um, terribly in love with the people who chose to use the platform as it continued to grow. And only um, when Emmett kind of really refocused the company around video game streaming, did we regain the love for our users? You know, Emmett was a gamer and he loved gamers and he loved building things for gamers. And that was really the one of the core drivers of Twitch becoming a successful company. Um, the next is choosing co-founders that you don't know well. Once again, all of these will have counterexamples. There are exceptions to every rule. Um, but in general, startups are so hard that it is nice to have a pre-existing relationship with your co-founder just so you have a sense of whether you're going to be able to get through the hard times together, whether you can work well together. Now, that pre-existing relationship can be a friendship, it could be a coworker, they could be someone in your school you did a school project with, but it's just helpful that you've had some context with them that you're not, you didn't just find them on the street yesterday. Um, the next one is not having transparent conversations with your co-founders. Um, there are very typical topics that create drama amongst co-founding teams. Performance, is um, my co-founder working as hard as I am? Goals, are we trying to accomplish the same goal? Um, roles, whose job is it to do engineering? Whose job is it to do product? Whose job is it to talk to customers? And oftentimes founders just don't have these completely transparent, honest conversations about these topics. And as a result, resentment builds up and the relationship degrades. And then when you do have the conversation, it turns into a fight, and that can really critically harm the startup. Um, so that's really important to be just having open, transparent conversations 
well-organized conversations that are not designed to argue or to create fights, but to really just share how you feel about the current situation of the company, how it's organized, who's doing what. Um, the next one is... Okay, so I'm going to stop him there. But he goes through seven reasons why startups fail. Two of them at the very beginning are about the team, that you messed up the team, that the team isn't communicating well, or you didn't find good people, or you didn't assign roles correctly. Those are all, you know, he identifies that. The reason you should care is that people say 90% of startups fail. I would say that it's much higher than that. I would say 90% of startups that have some funding fail. Um, and this guy who's, you know, the CEO of Y Combinator that was like an early investor in like Airbnb and DoorDash and Reddit and Coinbase and Dropbox and all these companies, like they invested in them. These are the, these are the problems that he wants you to, to avoid as a, as a first time founder or an early, like a first couple time founder, just founder in general, I think. Um, one of the things he does say, is, I think is interesting, is like uh, he says that there's a counter example to every rule, and then he says you should, you know, you don't start a company with somebody you know well. I think DoorDash, uh, Dropbox is one where um, the CEO found the CTO, like talked with him at like over lunch, and then the guy dropped out of school the next day, and they started the company. They started, you know, they they joined. He joined DoorDash, so or sorry, uh, Dropbox. So he. There are a lot of um, counterexamples, but I think this is, it's important that he's, he's really highlighting team, team, team really early in like his instruction video of like how to avoid failure as a, as a startup. And I think in general, one of the ways to think about success as a startup is to continually avoid failure um, and just kind of keep moving forward. So um, that's a pessimistic Here way of are... doing it, but um, I don't, I think, I think it's, it's fairly true. So. One more housekeeping thing, um, you know, you are not a startup. A startup is a company. A company is an entity. You can own 100% of the startup, but the, the startup is, a, is an entity that has uh, different people and different companies owning shares of that um, of the entity. Until you form an LLC or a C corporation, you're not a startup. Um, and so you really need to think of what you're building as, as a company. Um, investors are not going to necessarily loan you the money. They're going to loan the company the money. They're going to invest and they're going to buy shares of that company. They're going to equity of that company. So please think when you think about companies and you think about your startup, you're starting a company. That company can grow well beyond what you can do individually. Um, those companies have officers. Um, I'm going to mostly talk in terms of C corporations because C corporations are much more likely to receive venture funding, which is something presumably or, or likely you're going to want to do in the future. Um, they have officers like chief executive officer, chief financial officer. They have roles within that company that are defined. Um, you also have a board of directors, which can oversees what the officers do. And then you have shareholders who own shares in that company and can vote on things that the board of directors do. So there's a, a, a sort of a many different arms of this company um, and different control rests in different portions of the company. You don't need to get too involved with that right now. Realistically, you can be, when you start a company, you could start a company tomorrow for less than a thousand dollars, potentially free. And you could be every officer, you could be the only board member and you could be the only shareholder. These are just, but 
you need to form a company because the company is what's going to succeed. You yourself are limited in what you can do. A company can have lots of partners, lots of investors, lots of people, lots of co-founders. Um, so just form the entity. It's going to make it's going to make your life a lot easier in the future. It also protects you uh, in case the company doesn't go go well. Um, yeah. So I'm going to assume when I when I talk about startups from now on, I'm talking about a company. Founders are people. Companies, startups are companies. My background: um, I started Elm 16 in 2016. I started Overhead FM in 2012 when I was a, an undergraduate student. Um, I've gone through a bunch of accelerators, so I've seen a bunch of other startups in like a very close way, which is in a very kind of in, intimate uh, manner through, through programs like Techstars, Start Engine, Spark Labs, NSFI Core. I've seen hundreds of companies, really. I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of founders. I haven't seen the thousands of companies that you know, Y Combinator has seen, but I've seen hundreds, and I think that that's, um, that's really where my, my background is coming from. Things I'm not, I'm not, I've never been a solo founder. I've only ever worked in a team. Um, even if I was the first founder and the CEO, um, like I am at Element 16, I'm not the only person. I can't do everything. I know there are great solo founders out there. I'm just not one of them. Um, I'm not a lawyer and accountant, so I can't give like legal advice. Um, I've never operated a small business. One that is not, the goal is not to go after a billion dollar market. Um, and I don't have a venture capital background. And so these venture capitalists will likely have different views than founders. We kind of are the two sides of the same coin and we will have different things that we look for in a founding team um, in many cases. So I just want to give you a little bit background of like where I'm coming from. Also, both of the startups that I founded are C corporations. So I have a lot more experience um, thinking about um, uh, companies in terms of, of that structure of company. Um, but at the end, I'm happy to answer questions about, about either. Um, okay, last, last kind of initial video is Y Combinator being, you know, the best. Um, I don't know, there's like a, this idea that, they, that Y Combinator only accepts team founders. And this is someone here to dispel that myth. Because I think there's a question of like, can you start a company alone? And I think the answer is yes, but... Um, Here's, here's what Y Combinator says about, about solo founders. Does YC fund solo founders? The answer is yes, all the time. At least 10% of the companies that we fund every batch are solo founder companies. The origin of the misconception is our advice that all else being equal, it's a lot easier to start a company with co-founders. So if you're a solo founder and you have people that you know that you could bring on as co-founders, we definitely encourage you to consider it, but that doesn't describe every situation and there are tons of great companies founded every year with solo founders. In fact, two of YC's most successful companies, Dropbox and Zenefits, were both solo founder companies when they applied to YC. Incidentally, in both of those cases, they ended up bringing on a co-founder after they got accepted to YC, so that's also an option. Just to recap, YC definitely funds solo founders. Okay, I like this video a lot because he's saying, I, I'm, I'm a, little, a little cheeky, I think, when I play this, but he's saying, like, we accept solo founders. By the way, don't do it, but, like, we do take it, but, like, teams are better, but, you know, we'll take you. Um, so 
you know, another thing to note is, and I think this is kind of always important, Y Combinator, or Dropbox brought on the CEO after being accepted to Y Combinator. Y Combinator acceptance kind of instantly means that companies or investors might value you at like over a million dollars, um, potentially tens of millions of dollars, um, just based on that acceptance and kind of a, a, a story. Um, and he still brought on someone and brought him on as a co-founder. And so, you know, there's a lesson there um, somewhere. Um, actually, no, I'm gonna spell this one out. Okay, so everyone is earlier stage than they think they are. This is like every roommate thinks they're a better roommate than they actually are. Every, every company thinks that they're further along than they are. The road from where you are now to when you have product market fit you have scaled, you have then a scaled product market fit, you have hundreds of employees, you have multiple rounds of investors, you have, you're organizing multiple layers of a team, um, and then you know, you're going public or something like that. Like, that's a massive undertaking. Where we are today, and this is true for my company as well, you know, it's, just, it's really important, please recognize that like, the amount of work we've put into this point is not anywhere near enough to where, you know, to, kind of say no one joining from here on out is, is a founder. I think that there's always room um, to recognize that the person that you're bringing on can take you so much further that compared to where you aim to end up, you're currently in a place where you can consider um, people joining as co-founders. Um, and this is something that even the guy in the second video said, the CEO, uh, Michael, said is like, he's talking about things in terms of five plus years it's because really when you're forming this company, realistically, you need to be in it for at least five years. The company inside Elma 16 has been around for five years now. Um, and Overhead FM has been around for almost a decade. Um, you know, just recognize if you're not in it for five, for five plus years, you're not, you probably shouldn't be starting this company. You should, you should really, you should really think deeply about what you're starting uh, and whether you really want to do it. And, Everyone joining should also be thinking like this is every time someone joins, you think this is now the start of the next five years plus. Um, so that's that's um, I don't know. I just wanted to say the lesson I think is 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 absolutely that you're um, we're at stage one. Even if your company is already worth millions, you might be still at square one. Um, okay, I'll move on now. Does why nope. Great. So, oh, this, okay. okay, I'm gonna talk about the, the founding team right now. Um, and I should say there's really no correct way of doing this, but um, you should start by recognizing that you and your team are going to spend every day together, pretty much all your awake time, right? You're gonna get in the office early because you're dedicated. You're gonna stay late because you're dedicated. And so is your co-founder, so is, so is your team, right? your early stage. So you're gonna spend all the time together. You're gonna to have meals together. You need to also have a, a shared sense of where you're going to go together. Um, and you also need to recognize that a lot of the value of your personal net worth is going to be tied up into whether this company is successful or not for both you and your founder. So when you have a disagreement about the vision, the shared vision of where that company is going, you're also talking about your, you know, you being wrong or you being right as a team dictates how if you're you know multimillionaires in the future and you need to like recognize that 
you're making financial decisions that are very impactful for that uh, for every one of your team members' financial future. There's no way of getting around that. So every decision you make is really, really important to you and this person that you are sharing your life with um, because you're, you're around them all the time. And so that's, I mean, you are, if this person has a family, I mean, oh, my co-founders all have, are married and have children. The decisions I make as a CEO and as a, as a founder of Element 16 has a direct impact on my founders' like entire lives, their families' lives, right? If we're successful, you know, that's, that's amazing. If we're not successful, like we've taken five years of our lives building something that is, that is worth zero dollars at the end. Like, it, I can't change this enough. And you need to have that mentality going in to found, starting the team. So you need to be simultaneously confident that you're going to be successful. They need to want to join, but humble and recognize that like this could fail. And you need to be open with your, with these people that you're trying to attract. The same way you need to sell the vision of where you're going and you need to be very clear that this, that 90% of startups fail and you need, they need to be fully aware of the risk that they're taking because if they get surprised in a while, when things aren't going well and things always will not go well at some point, at least once, if they're surprised by that, they're going to jump ship. And if they jump ship when you're down, your company is gone. So you got to be, you know, it, it's an impossible task, but be humble and be confident, you know, sell the vision and sell the risks or warn about the risks. And then you need to understand what motivates everyone in your company. Each person is different. They have different goals. We have a person on our team at Almond 16 who is really loves like computational work. And what's more important than a salary or than equity or than anything is like just the, the work that they're doing that is intellectually uh, challenging. And you need to structure that person's work, that person's role, and everything around that, around that interest. You need to understand what really motivates someone, not what they say motivates them. You need to like get to know them well enough that you can actually identify what you can do to keep them interested for five plus years working on this company. That's hard, and it only comes about when you have like really serious conversations together, um, and you spend some time together. And and you know if you're kind of open about about your about your own fears. I mean, like everyone thinks that they want a lot of equity and a lot of money. And what actually keeps people interested in a startup tends to be neither of those things in many cases. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So like money people talk about forming a, a, a team uh, in, in, in context of marriage, because you're going to spend more time with your co-founder than you would with your spouse and your financial future is tied together. Um, I'm not married, so I'm not in a place to make that analogy, but I just want to say like, that is, that is the most common w way people talk about this. Okay, this is what I thought was going to show up. Um, you have to also agree on a lot of things right off the bat. You have to be able to agree on things like, and, and well into the future, you need to agree on salaries, hiring priorities, you know, whose team gets people first. If you have a business founder and a tech founder, you're going to need to decide, like, you have your first $100,000. Who are you hiring? Is it a business person? Is it a tech person? You might not have money for both. Where is your company, you know? If someone has a family and they live in Santa Monica and you live in Pomona uh, and you have a family, 
and you need to like work in an office. I mean, not necessarily during COVID, but like you need to be able to decide where you're going to be. Um, yeah. And then you also far out in the future, you need to be able to decide, you know, you need to be able to communicate clearly with someone about like what terms you're willing to accept for an investment. Do you want to sell the company? Do you want to close the company? Like if things aren't going well, you want to fight through. But then at some point you also need to be able to decide you're not going to fight anymore. It's time to shut down. This is a person who's going to have their entire or a lot of their, the, their personal net worth tied up in the success of this company. You need to be able to have the conversation, not necessarily day one. It's going to take time, but you have a lot of time, but you just have to make sure that this is someone that you're going to be able to have these conversations with in the future, potentially. Okay. This is the part where I'm not sure I love this stuff, but um, these are the other things to look for beyond just emotionally, can you work it together? Um, this is from uh, a Harvard Business Review article. These are like, I view kind of like almost nice to have, but there are something that you should have in mind. I'm very even keel when it comes to business dealings. Um, you need at least one person that's like that. You have a, you might want someone that runs a little hot blooded because passion is going to drive a lot of your decision making and a lot of, a lot of your kind of motivation. So you want like passionate people. You also want cool headed people. You want tech people and salespeople. Similar work habits, I don't really buy, but um, you, might ha you have to be able to identify everyone's, um, you have to be able to respect the amount of work someone else is putting in. If you think you're putting in a lot more work than your co-founder, you're not going to feel very good and vice versa. Um, so you have to make sure that you have discussed uh, or you, you, it's someone that you can discuss the workload with and you think you could work together in the future in terms of like work ethic. The, feel free to read the article. They have a different view of like what similar work habits look like. Self-sufficiency, this is someone who's like going to need to be operating independently of you pretty much all the time. They're going to be going out to have meetings without you. They're going to have hiring discussions without you. They need to be able to represent the company um, without you. Even if you're the CEO, you have to trust this person to work independently. So that's something you have to look for. A history of working together. Again, this like goes back to the one of the main fel uh, failure modes is that like people don't know their co-founder well enough to when they start, or they don't know their co-founder at all when they start. So this is someone that's identifying that as a potential risk factor. Um, emotional buoyancy. This is actually really important, I think. Um, not necessarily that they have it inherently all the time, but like things will go badly in your company. Like you will have tough times. The, you either need to trust that they're going to bounce back on their own and be able to push through, or you have to know how you're going to be able to work with them so you communally can, can push through something together. You can either supply that emotional buoyancy or they need to have that inherently. Total honesty is something that is a lot to ask for a potential co-founder. I mean, when you're looking for a new co-founder uh, that you've never really shared, uh, you know, you haven't been married in your business before, total honesty is going to be really hard, but you have to at least identify that this is something that you could in the future be able to have total honesty with. And when I say total honesty, I mean things like sharing your bank balance, like telling people what your debts are. Those are the kinds of like, those matter to a business. Like, 
if you need to go six months without a salary, you need to be able to tell someone, like, if, if you're like, we don't have money for like the next three months, uh, like, who's, who can take the hit? You need to know that before you're in that situation, right? So total honesty is huge. And those discussions suck. Like those are hard discussions, especially when you haven't worked with someone before. But you need to be able to like, you need to be able to, to have those um, in the future. You need to identify this as someone that you could talk with about this stuff. Comfort in their own skin. Um, that's, you know, if someone's insecure, this is probably not the game for them. Um, if someone's really obsessed with having a certain title, that's a kind of a warning sign for me personally. Um, but, you know, startups are not glamorous in reality. So just be aware, uh, be aware of that. Um, and then if someone needs a lot of like praise constantly, startups are not always a good place for that. A personality like, this is like, so this shouldn't be number one in my view. Um, you're gonna spend all your time with them. And your success is their success, and their success is your success. You have to want this person to be successful. There's like no way around that. You have to like being spending time with this person. Um, if you don't like that person, don't. That's, why do that to yourself? I mean, you're literally going to spend five to five to ten, maybe more years together. Like just, just you know, just, just choose people you like. Um, same overall vision. You should have disagreement about where your company's going. Right. If you don't have disagreements, that means one of you is being a dominant personality and you're not working together. You're not getting the benefit of a team, which is different perspectives. But at the same time, um, you should have a general sense that like you want to sell the company at, you know, you want to work on this for the rest of your life. You want to sell the company at some point. You want to build the company to be X. You care more about, for us, it's like we care more about getting a climate saving technology in the market than we do about selling at the highest price. That's something that you have to like have a you have to have an overarching kind of understanding of where you're going and what that vision is um, and what your priorities are. It doesn't need to be the same vision and it shouldn't be detailed the same vision, but overall it should you should have some agreement. Um, and yeah, and I should say um, moving forward, like there is a there there is a mechanism for why for all this. It doesn't need to all work out immediately. I would say in most cases, you have a year to make sure that you have this all set up and I'll talk about that later. Okay, so now you've gone out there and you've found the person who like has these perfect 10 trades and has the skill set, or okay, more realistically, you really need a tech person or you really need a, an investor facing person, you really need a salesperson and like this is the person that's gonna do this, that's gonna get you from, you know, where you're stuck to the next, barrier, right? Um, how do you get that person to join your company? Especially when you're, let's say you don't have any money in the company, you don't have any investors, you don't have any customers. You know I mean? um, so I would say the first thing to do is think about it from their perspective and figure out what it is that would get you excited to join your own company, right? So what got me excited about my first company, or my in every company, is like I care deeply, and it's my company, right? I naturally care. They're not going to have that, so you have to have something else that brings them in. And I think the best way of doing it is traction. Is like get something. They want to join a rocket ship, and if you're 
like building the team first and you don't you don't you're not showing any vision or any any movement like there's no there's nothing to join right so if you're really a tech person um, because you can't build your app without someone that knows how to program and you can't get at least some sort of app looking thing on the market or in the app store or something like or just even just a prototype to show like that's not a rocket ship like you need to you need to learn about the skill set that you're that you need to, to attract someone that can look at it and go okay this person's building something i get behind that that vision and i can make it I, I they will identify to themselves like i can do that better than they can therefore like this person's already making these moves they're showing commitment they're they have they can speak my language because they have learned a little bit of my skill set i'm i'm in right so like i find it that if you want someone to fill a specific role at least start on that path start building in that direction know how to speak the language that they're going to speak when they're talking about it so when you interview someone about sales you can talk about sales metrics right those are the kinds of things the other thing is is if you build your traction and your everything and you don't tell anyone about it then it doesn't help so the other the other side of the i guess the first bullet point on this is you have to go out there and tell people about it. And it's going to feel a little awkward at first in many cases. Um, talking about your own business is, can, be, can be uncomfortable, especially when it doesn't have any traction and you're still not sure about exactly that you have any product market fit. Just go out there and talk about it because people, people want to see lines, not points. This is true about everyone, including investors. But like, if you start talking about it and you have nothing, and then you talk about it later and you have... A, a really shitty website like they can see that you built that shitty website whereas like if you just come out there and you're like i built this shitty website they're gonna look at it and be that's a really bad website right so like just talk about it early talk about it often and then people can track your progress and they can see that it's a rocket ship it's not a bad website so um i think those are the two main things build traction and talk about it um yeah that's all I'm going to say about this slide. There are videos, but they were really long, so I put them in the slide. Okay. So now, uh, I know I'm running through this, but I also realize I'm like almost out of time. Uh, <laughs> quality. So you need to like figure out. You have you've identified somebody you want to have on the team, and they're excited to be on the team because you've shown traction and you've gotten you've gotten out there, and they're a great person. Is that a founder? And that's a really good. That's a hard question. Um, and again, like because you can also, uh, they can also just be a hire, right? Like they don't need to be a founder. Um, I would say the first, these are all questions to consider, and I would recommend just like writing down your responses and like thinking about it really deeply with yourself before you go any further. But the first question, and I think the primary question is like, why would this person join? Are they joining because of the value? that you're giving them today, are you paying them a paycheck and that's like a better paycheck than they would get elsewhere? Or are they working for equity? Are they working for the value that they're going to get from that company when it's successful? Do they buy into that vision? Do they, do they work for some future value? I think that's like a really, one of the core questions. And this is like, these are just my personal notes. I should say this, like I didn't pull this from a website. So like, or you know, from any expert. So feel free to ignore this. But this is my personal. This is my personal vision: is 
is that person working for today or are they working for tomorrow? And if they're working for tomorrow, they might be a founder. If they're working for today, they might be an employee. The rest of it comes down to commitment and trust. Do you see this person as an equal? Would you give this person 50% equity in your company? Would you give this person 20%? If you're not willing to give this person 25%, you might not be willing to give them anything. I think that you might be looking at an employee. Um, would you, do you think this person is going to contribute at a similar or the same or higher level than you're going to contribute to your own company? If that answer is yes, they might be, I don't know, they could be either. Um, but it, are you trusting them to make independent decisions? And then is this person there for a long time? You don't want to lose co-founders very early in your company. So like you have to make sure that they're really committed to the vision um, and that you're going to reward them for staying for a long time um, on the pathway to a successful exit. Um, so you have to trust that this person can work independently, is committed, and, you know, and can contribute as an equal. Those are really important things. Otherwise, you probably shouldn't have them as a founder. You might not want to have them as an employee, to be honest. But yeah, okay. Again, I think the primary thing is just do they, do, are they working for today or are they working for tomorrow? Okay. Um, yeah, so now I'm, I'm moving on to now like the functional part. So you've identified someone that's gonna be really good as a potential founder. You've attracted them to the company and you've identified that they are truly a founder and not an employee. Now you need to talk about um, how you're gonna split up the equity, right? You are, not a you are not a company. The company is a company. You are one of the founders of that company. You're one of the shareholders, the equity holders of that company. There are, you should, when you're, and this is true if you're starting a company together from day one, or if you're having someone join after you've launched the company, you've been working on it for a while, this is still, this doesn't change. And you should probably think about this quite seriously before even discussing it with the other person. Um, but then you should also discuss all these things together. The factors to consider. How committed is this person? Are they going to work on it full time? Are they currently a student? Are they currently, uh, do they have another job? One of our, one of my companies, my co-founder was a full-time tenure track professor at the same time that we were starting the company together. So I was more committed because I was full in and I didn't have any other source of income or anything. And he had a tenure track position, like he could leave, right? So that's a, that's a factor to consider. How long of a commitment can this person make? How long can this person go on this company before, let's say their spouse says like, you need to get a real job now, man. Those are the kinds of things that you need to consider. And you need to be serious about that. Um, because we're talking the five, 10 year commitment. If that person's in it for two years and needs to see certain things happen in order to stay interested, that's something to talk about um, and consider how much equity they get. How skilled is this person? If this person is like, if this person has a Nobel Prize in physics and you're doing a physics company, that person's going to get a lot more equity. How how has um, how, has this person started a company before? This is I think very similar to how skilled the person is. Um, and if they worked in the field, you know, they have a reputation in the field. This is like, these are, these are assets the person is bringing, um, experience, knowledge. Um, does this person 
have access others don't do not have this is similar is this person well connected in has this person been a venture capitalist before has this person is this person in an angel group that like has a lot of people who are ready to write a check for whatever they start next you know these are things to consider um and then these are the other ones that i think is are are the knobs that you play with as you decide how much equity everyone gets so who's taking a salary and how much are you putting your own money into the company are they if someone takes a bigger salary, they're going to get less equity, probably. Um, I should also say, some people just say, split all equity evenly. That's one way to do it. I'm not, that's not my preferred way, but it's like, it's, it's one of the ways to do it. If you want to ignore all this stuff. Um, but you know, who's taking a salary? How much is the salary? Um, how long do people go without a salary? Um, who has what title? Some people really care about titles. I think titles are mostly for external things. Internally, you guys should all kind of have a, set role within each other with each other but titles you have to have they show structure and they show that everyone knows their role to external parties investors customers and partners don't get to see how you work every day so they want to see an org chart because if you can't if you internally can't agree on an org chart there's a lot of other stuff you're not going to be able to agree on that's a huge red flag and then board of directors who's on the board of directors the board of directors tells the ceo what they get to do so they are the boss's boss. So if you got control, if you're willing to give up some percentage equity for amount of control, or you're willing to give up salary for an amount of control, those are things that also you, you can kind of play with as like levers in how you decide equity. Um, and then, so those are like factors to consider that you should, you should absolutely sit down and like concretely understand before and during the negotiation of how you're splitting up equity. Then even more importantly, what motivates people, right? If equity is what motivates people to keep going when they can't pull a salary and they're you know, eating ramen and they're like living in the basement of their you know, grandparents' house, or, I don't know, I don't know. Whatever it is, if it's equity, then prioritize equity for that person. What keeps people going? Um, and then also like, Every time you raise funds, you can assume you're gonna give up 20, 30% of the company. So like what aligns your interests moving forward? And I think that's, that's probably even more important than anything else is you should not be negotiating against each other. You should be negotiating together to build the best equity base for how your company is going to be successful. If I have 20% of the company or 30% of the company and, some, and the company sells for $100 million, I'm happy or I'm happier, but I'm still happy. Like I don't, you need to like make sure you're aligned, right? And you also need to recognize that like if someone's willing to join for 10% equity, that might be a problem because if you raise three rounds and each round takes 30% equity of the company, like that person might end up with like such a small fraction of equity in the company that when you go and try to sell the company, they're going to say, well, I'd rather keep making my 200K salary than sell the company for $10 million and walk away with $100,000, right? Like I'd rather, I, my interest is not aligned with your interest at that point. So you need to make sure that your equity split is designed so that in your future vision of the company, when you've all been diluted by 80%, you still wanna sell the company for your target goal of $100 million or whatever it is, right? You have to agree, not just today on an equity split today, you need to, look into the future after you raise money and make sure you all still agree that your interests are going to be aligned. 
and you can always change things later. So don't put too much pressure on this. It's the final statement. Don't. It sounds like a lot. It is a lot, and you should be comfortable because this is going to be your starting point from every other future discussion. But also, everything changes in five years, and so don't don't spend too much time thinking about it. And there's a there's a way of doing this. So I want to talk briefly about the mechanics. Okay, six minutes left. The mechanics of how vesting, how how equity works. Everyone, in my view, should vest. Vesting is earning equity over time, earning any asset, but in sort of vesting is earning equity over time. So when you split it and every all your five founders and all of you get 20%, you guys don't get 20% day one. You have 0% day one. And then over the course of five years, you earn up to that 20%. So that if someone leaves after the first year and everyone else is in it for the long haul, that person doesn't leave with 20% of the company, they leave with a fraction of that and that the rest of the equity gets split amongst the people who are still working. Vesting is vitally important. And even if you guys decide you're not gonna do it, um, you might have to do it in the future because like, an investor who invests might force you to start vesting over again. So this is just be aware, vesting is going to be very much a part of your discussions from here on out. So when you get together, You've already talked about how who's putting money into the company, who's taking money out of the company as a salary, who's doing what role, who's has a board position, all this stuff. You've already decided all of that. You also need to decide how long you're going to vest for and then if there is a cliff. So this is the cliff is your trial period. So um, one common way of doing this is a four-year vesting period with a one-year cliff. I'm going to show that here. Okay. In this company, so four-year vesting would mean every, let's say every month or every quarter you earn, let's say you're going to get 40% of the company, you're vesting towards 40%. You get 40% of the equity in the company. That means every year you're going to get 10% of the company you might break that down by a month or by, by quarter or whatever, but you're gonna basically every month get it, right? And so if you left at year two, you'd walk away with 20% of the company. If you left at year three, you'd walk away with 30%. And then if you stay all four years, you have 40% um, of the company, right? The, is that clear? Did I make that clear? Okay. The cliff is the trial period at the beginning. So a one-year cliff, four-year vesting with a one-year cliff means if you leave any time in that first four, uh, first year, you walk away with 0% equity, okay? So you start with zero, you have nothing, and then at year one, you earn that first, that whole year's equity. So in that example I gave where you have, you're earning towards 40%, on you know, month, right after that first year, you have 10%. But if you left you know, 11 months and 30 days into the, you'd walk away with zero, okay? That's because this is the time when you're still working everything out. You're figuring out if your company's gonna gel together, if the founders all work like each other and, and if you're contributing and if you're putting in enough work and if you're if you were lying when you said that you could actually dedicate your your time to this, right? You need to this is the trial period. This is when you figure everything out. Um two minutes. So this is what it, this is what equity looks like in term, in that in example. Okay. 
I'm going to skip this because it's too long, but this is a great video. I highly recommend how much equity you give your co-founder by, by Michael Seipel. Seipel? Okay. I'm going to, I'm just going to end on this slide, uh, I guess. Um, so you're having these discussions and I think these are like the common questions that people have is like, what if, um, what if it's too early to document equity discussions? Um, what if the conversation is uncomfortable? And then what if the conversation gets nasty? Cause you're talking about, you're going to be talking about like how much money you have and like how much money you need. And if you need to move to Northern California or whatever, like these are hard questions. So. Um, if it's too early to have to document it, you should always document it. Document everything. Document what you discuss. Send it as an email to everyone that was in the discussion. That way, you don't forget what you talked about, and it eliminates the uncertainty later when you said, well, no, you actually said this. Just document it. Send it in an email. Everyone can read it. Everyone's on the same page. You need to be open during these conversations. These are hard conversations, and you don't want to have them twice, and you don't want to have it feel like, you want someone to feel like they've been wronged during the negotiation. They'll fall apart. What if the conversation is uncomfortable? It will be. Get used to having uncomfortable conversations with your co-founders. A lot of them are gonna be uncomfortable. You're gonna, it's just how it is. This is part of getting to know each other. And if you can't have an uncomfortable conversation together, that first year is gonna look real daunting. What if the conversation gets nasty? It shouldn't get nasty. You should try to avoid that at all costs. If it does, if people start insulting each other in these early discussions about like, well, you didn't, you know, you start accusing each other of things early on, even though you've documented everything, you've sent it out, you've been clear, and you've shown that you're a man of your, or a woman of your word. If it still gets nasty, really think about whether you're going to work with this person for five or 10 years. Like, seriously, think about it. If you still think you're going to, you know, good on you um, and keep going, but just be, you know, make sure you try to keep it constructive. Don't make it nasty yourself. And then, you know, if someone tells you that they're the wrong person for the job, listen to them. And this is actually my last slide, but I'm gonna ignore it. This is just, I put the, the uh, link to all of this, all of uh, Nicole Claris's videos at the first slide um, and, and the interest slide. So uh, if you wanna watch them, it's great. It's also good um, as a kind of a, a um, it kind of talks about what you should do once you've found the team and you start working together. It's sort of a, an exercise to do together to make sure that like you're communicating well. And it's worth revisiting over time um, because people's lives change. You know, like when I started the company with my, when I started Element 16 with my co-founder, um, he didn't have kids. Now he has kids. His priorities change. Um, what he's going to do, what motivates him changes. And it's worth it to kind of keep having these conversations going. Um, you know, he was more willing to spend three months in Dubai before kids than after kids. And that's something that we, you need to be able to have conversations with. Um, even when you're all in, you can be all in and unhappy. So, you know, try to, try to keep, keep revisiting um, these communication points uh, with these people that you're sharing your, sharing your financial future with and honestly your future with. Um, that's all I have. I'm happy to stick around for as long as you want to answer questions. I Apologize, I've already gone two minutes over, and uh, I didn't, I didn't time this out very well. <laughs> I spent way too long in those early slides. So um, please, yeah, do you have any questions for me? Um, I have this stick around. Yeah, there's a there's a question in chat. 
Can you provide oh, the slides right. so they could watch your videos? Yeah. Yes. If I haven't, I did not do that. I can. Uh, I will do that right after this call. Yeah, I got I, a question. I yes. Sorry. Is, is there something that uh we should not share? Like, it, it, is it is this is there something that we should keep in mind as far as uh, not providing too much information to people that we're thinking about bringing into the company? Because sometimes I, I wonder and I kind of, I guess, fear that if I share too much, then if something was to happen later, such as, you know, if this is being um, considered as a relationship and if it's considered like a marriage, then, you know, some marriages end up in divorces and yeah, then in no, the do. end it could it could cost a lot so yeah that's why you have your investing prenup you're 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 setting yourself up to not to, to have an exit plan for that first until the cliff and then until afterwards i would say you know things are going to come out eventually anyway so be sure that the person that you're working with is someone that you're comfortable with eventually having the information I don't think anyone goes into any negotiation and says like, here's all of my dirty laundry. Cause you do want them to be interested in the company. You want them to like want to join. And that's why I was saying like, you need to warn people of all the risks and, and give them, you know, a sense of all the things that could go wrong and the things that you're, um, you know, the problems, but you also need to sell the vision so that, the idea is that they're going to still want to join um, despite your openness about your fault and your, and, and your, and your, your, your challenges. I think that that's um, just like really, I, I can't identify something that I would say you shouldn't ever share. I don't think you should show up to the first meeting and like have your printed bank statements and hand them to them and be like, here's my bank statement. Like, please review. That's not like how I think this, this is not that kind of openness that I think you want to have, but I think you, the kind of openness you want to have is like, look, at the at current, I could go probably a year without pulling a salary. And if we don't get investment in a year, like I'm going to be in a tight spot. And I think you need to like have that clear with them so that they go, okay, I understand this person go, can go a year. I really can't like my, if I tried to tell my spouse that not only am I quitting my job, but I'm going to not, I'm, I'm, I'm signing up to not have a salary for a year. She's not going to go for that at all. Then I would say like, you, know, you need to be open about that. Right. Or they need to be open about that with you so that you know where you're at because you're, you know, that's a failure mechanism. That's a failure mode. And you need to like identify all the potential failure modes and then like try to plan against them. Um, so I'm not saying that you necessarily need to like be open in terms of like, here's my bank statement, but I do think you need to be open to the point of like how much, to, to what extent it impacts them. Like, and you can say like, I could go a year. I will be uncomfortable if we don't show any traction of getting an investor within three months. Like that's also part of openness is like, I'm not going to be a happy person. I'm going to be emailing you every single day and calling you every single day at the six month mark. From there on out, I'm, I'm hounding you because I need to see some track, I need to see some, some traction to that goal. Um, or same with like customers development. Like if I don't see this customer, um, anyway, I, 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 I'm moving away from the question, I think. So 
I, I'm not saying that you, you show everyone everything right away. Um, but I can't think of something that I would like immediately say, like, you should hide these things. Um, like, if you have a, if there's anything about you that's going to make it harder for the company to succeed, I think you have to tell them. I think you have to. I, just because it'll come up at some point if you're successful. If you're not successful, I guess it doesn't matter. But if you're, success, if you're having success, those things that are impediments to further success are going to come out. And it's going to look like at that point, you've spent a lot of time together. You've committed to this. And if they feel like they've been lied to or you've hidden things from them, that trust is broken. And then if it falls apart, you're, something's falling apart after you've dedicated six months or a year of your life to it. You know what I mean? Like if you get kicked out of the company a year in because they find out that you have some something that makes you untenable as a, as a co-founder, you know, you'll walk away with no equity because you have a vesting agreement and they're going to, you know, and yeah, it, it's better to get these things out early because, you know, you can cut your losses, I think. Um, yeah. And think, a lot of things matter. Like one of the things that matters to me now is like everyone's credit score. All my, all, everyone that has equity has to have a good credit score. Um, it's a weird thing. It's just like, it, it, it matters in some cases. It's not, it would absolutely not be a make or break thing. Like if someone has a bad credit score, they're absolutely still can be a founder. I just need to know that early so that like when we go to the bank to get a loan and they're looking at our credit scores, I know that like, this is, I, I can identify this as a potential problem um, in getting, in getting a loan for the company or something like that. So, um, so you and at some point, check on them? No, 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 no. This is a conversation. It's like, I would have asked like, hey, is your credit good? And if they said no, I wouldn't at all. It wouldn't actually impact anything I do, but I would just be aware of it for the future. Um, but no, I haven't ever run a credit check on my uh, co-founders. But when I went to get a loan, I found out everyone's credit score and they need to like, and we all found each, out each other's credit scores. Um, and if it's something that you're not willing to share with your co-founder um, or potentially in a couple years, and you're not comfortable with your co-founder knowing, you need to think critically about whether that's the right person to be a co have as a co-founder. Um, it gets personal real quick, um, you know, for sure. And so if you were gonna know, people were gonna know things like that. Um, so it's better to talk about it early, I think. Easier said than done, <laughs> for sure. Easier said than done to be open about things. I don't know why this right. keeps going. So, um, so long while we're in the process of, of setting everything up, it, it, are there like documents along the way too that should be filled out and have some of the co-founders signed so that? Um, Absolutely. Okay. When you set up the company, uh, I can't. When you set up the when you set up the corporation, um, a lot of it is like. So when you set up a company, you're, especially a C corporation, you're going to have like articles of incorporation or, or um, so basically something that, and then bylaws of the corporation. And so these are the rules that are going to govern the business, right? You're just a person. The company is its own entity and everyone owns things in the company. They're not betting on your success. They're betting on the company's success. Um, 
so the company's going to have a bunch of rules and you're going to sign off on those rules. And, you know, you can go the route of, have, of just like getting them from Cooley Go or LegalZoom or whatever, which is totally a route to go. Or you can, if you're willing to spend the money and you have the money, you can go to a law firm. A lot of the times universities, I wouldn't be surprised if Kalpatmona uh, has this, where they'll have deals with local law firms that'll do it for free or at a really low, massive discount, like a you know 90 something percent discount. If I would push to get that for free and have a lawyer walk you through it. I mean, they're having you set up and if they help you for free, then you're more likely to use them when you have money and you can, you know, you can pay them. Um, so yeah, everyone's gonna sign off on the rules of the company, the bylaws of the company. Everyone's gotta sign off on that if they're, you know, uh, and then also when they are buying equity, like in a C corporation, you don't just give an equity, you actually buy equity. You might buy it at a very low price. It might be a fraction of a cent per share, but you're paying money and you're getting something in return and you're documenting that. And so the rules of that of that equity is, is, um, is written out. Um, did I answer your question? What was the, what was the specific of that? No, that, that was pretty much it. You answered a lot and I appreciate it. Um, and then, yeah, one more last question then I'm done and I'm pretty much out. What, what do you think of my background? I, I like it. I, I, uh, what, what specifically are you, are you asking? I guess the colors, the colors, the darkness. I just wanted to get your, I guess your opinion on, on the background of, of uh, of my logo or just the name. I like it because I understand that cannabis is education is how how you meant it instead of just a cannabis education um I didn't really see the club until you asked so I don't really know if it's a club or it's a company um I mean it could be both I guess a club could be a company but um yeah I like it is yellow a standard color for cannabis brands I get uh, green I'm on board with that, but yeah. Well, as far as the yellow part, it goes. The reason why I picked the colors is because of cannabis. Yeah, of course, the green, the white, just pretty much stands out, and the the yellow is kind of more like I guess based off of knowledge and compassion and love. Okay, and so yellow yeah. signifying that. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, I'm I'm on board with that. I think that um, yeah, it stands out with the black background. I think um. Yeah, I feel like there's like so many like routes people are going with cannabis brands. Like they can be, they can try to go like very professional, so they're seen very professional, like they're very trendy, and like be seen as very like very cool. Um, kind of everything on what is it Melrose Ave or something is like very cool and trendy. Um, you know, it depends on like what kind of absolutely depends on who you're trying to attract to your to your club to your company. Um, is like does this branding make sense? Like this looks very established and very like. Uh, you have a serif font. That means to me that you're going for something that's a little more uh, professional. So, you know, if you're going for, if you're trying to attract professionals to like seriously consider cannabis, then that makes sense. If you're looking for something that's like more trendy, you might want, I don't know, more, more, more playful brand. Those are just opinions. I'm also not a very good branding person. So, you know, take it with, <laughs> take it with the brand as well. I hope you're asking like 50 people, not, not you yeah i'm asking everybody just i'm getting everybody's opinion <laughs> and stuff, so, which I, which i appreciate as well so um but thank you i do appreciate it and thank you for your presentation i, I did definitely enjoy it and i got some info from it good yeah i'm, I'm glad to hear that um 
I see a hand. I don't know if I, do I click on it or something? No, I don't click on it. Hi. I don't know how Zoom works. Uh, yeah, I have a question about C Corps. Um, so I have an LLC uh, and we, it's been recommended that we turn into a C Corp prior to taking investment. But yeah. uh, that I, I, you know, I haven't really looked into it too much, but it's like, what is the reasoning for that? Like it, it's, it seems like there's like different terms to it. And it, it apparently is easy to do from LLC, <laughs> but I don't know what the benefit is of doing that. Yeah, so most, most people will say it's much easier to go from an LLC to a C-Corp, so it's very normal to start as an LLC and then change your, and then change into a C-Corp or an S-Corp. Um, S-Corps are kind of like C-Corps that get a lot of benefits of an LLC. Um, but um, yeah, it's a very common for people to say that it's much easier. And the reason why we are a C-Corp is because it's easier to get investment as a C-Corporation versus an LLC. My understanding is LLCs work on percentage percentages of the company as opposed to like shares of a corporation. And so um, there's just a little bit of difference there. You can, as a C corporation, you can form different like types of stock. So like, um, uh, there's a few, there's a few pretty big differences. One is like a C corporation is not a pass through entity. Um, and I'm not a lawyer, so I, I should say that. Um, like your company makes, let's say your company makes a dollar um, that dollar is then in your, your investor has 50% of the company, you have 50% of the company, 50% of that is just like passed through to them as income. Um, and they're taxed on it, that there's benefits and advantages. If your company has a loss then they'll get some of the loss to count against their income. Investors tend to have a lot of income, so they might see that as a benefit. There might be a benefit to them. Um, if you're a, a startup that has losses, um, so it's not always better to be a C Corp, but, um, the tax treatment is different. Um, so a C corporation is uh, kind of its own entity. If it profits at the end of the year, that corporation is taxed as a corporation. Um, it's not just like passed on to all the owners of shares. So that's a, that's a pretty big difference. Um, and so that really, that might just be like a, a liability ma management. Like the investor doesn't really necessarily know how much you're gonna profit or lose at the end of every year. So they might think it's just a safer position to be in where like it's like whatever you do as an LLC is, is passed on to them and like whatever you do as a corporation isn't, that might be benefit. Um, the other thing that's really big is like types of shares. So a lot of investors, so when you start a company, you're gonna have common shares most likely. Um, everyone, all your founders are gonna have the same shares or have the same rights, the same voting rights about the board and everything like that. Then a, an investor might come in and they might want different terms. They might have something called preferred shares where like they're going to buy shares and it's going to have some, some value to those shares. And, and then uh, if you raise at a lower valuation in the future, they might have some provision so that they don't lose all their investment um, because your company is worth less in the future than it is when they buy it, stuff like that. So they might, they want special terms for the equity that they're buying for the shares that they're buying. And they can, you can create a whole separate class of shares that have different rules just for them. Um, and that flexibility is something that a lot of investors are going to want. And so they might be interested in you only if you're a C-corporation because they are going to want special rules for their equity. Um, I think that there might be something analogous in LLCs, but I'm not, I haven't, I'm not a LLC person. Right, uh, just because I, when we set it up, 
Um, we did make up different types of shares, mm -hmm. um, some for controlling and, and some for just like mostly equity. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I, you know, I've heard that C-Corps have that ability as well, but I wasn't sure like what the benefit was, but it, it sounds like uh, it's mostly like tax related, I guess. <laughs> Some of it's tax related. I think, yeah. Some of it might just be like, uh, I think a lot of it is is the, the, the amount of things you can do with a C-Corporation and the fact that because most startups are C-Corporations, like they're lawyers are very familiar with it. It's a lot cheaper to get things mm -hmm. done like, like through, just like if you're doing things that are very standard, then everyone sort of, it, it's not, there's an like learning cost associated with every um, action that gets, that is completed. Um, yeah, I think tax, taxes are, is a huge portion of it. Um, but I do think it's a lot easier to make, like you can have 50 different types of shares. You can issue more shares like, I can, you know, you can, you can issue a lot of shares. You can have like options pools for employees and stuff like that. And all of that's like very standard and easy to do with a C corporation. Um, op options are a whole separate, a whole nother thing for like early employees giving them stock options in the future. Um, uh, yeah, what else? When you buy, what I was saying, like you buy, equity you don't get given equity so like you buy your shares as a founder so that way when you sell those shares it's like capital gains versus like you're not gonna it's not a gift um so when you file your 83b election or, or whatever um you know so there's like special treatments to like for the future when you exit and you you get a financial benefit out of it um i think c corps make it very easy to benefit with as low a tax burden as possible, um, which I assume is something the investor would be interested in. I don't know how it works with yeah. LLC. Right. Well, thank you. That's pretty helpful. Going to look more into it just so that I can. You know, but I yeah, I, I don't think you should it. do it right away. I mean, or I, you don't have to do it right away. And like when someone says you should consider being a C corp, be like, okay, yeah. if you invest, I'll become a C corp. Like that's a totally fine thing to say. It doesn't yeah. take very long. Yeah, and like. Um, and they usually have like, know, lawyers to do that already. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it's super standard. It's going to take mm -hmm. them a while to like get their checkbook out and like write the check and you know look through all their due diligence and everything. And a lot of the times when you're an early stage corporation, like they might want to see changes in your company structure anyway, even if it's not LLC to C corporation. So like, don't get too like. I would say like, you know, good advice. Thank you, but also like let's see the money and then we'll talk about like how I'm going to waste or spend my time changing my company structure instead of just building my company more. Because like, if I do this, I'm, you're, you know, if you do this, you're spending time thinking about the structure of your company and not the growth of your company sort of in some way. So, you know, I would, I would wait to see a little bit of buy-in before I say like, okay, I'm going to make this change. This is my, that's my personal view. I've always started things, everything as the C Corp. So I never, I just was like, we're going to raise money. I know this. Like that's the goal. That's like that's like how we achieve our goals is by raising funds. So I'm just going to start as a C corporation. Um, but that's not necessarily the right thing to do. And there are times that I've like kind of not regretted it, but mm -hmm. I have not yeah. benefited from the tax through advantages of the LLC.
Well, thank you. Yeah. Hi, I had a question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so my question is, what would be the best platform for finding the ideal partner? And in my, in my case, I'm searching for an engineer to help me develop the concept and just get the pricing down, get what would be most cost benefit, cost efficient of, of my product. Um, mm -hmm. Would it be better to use school resources, reach out through LinkedIn, set up a meeting, email, or just, yeah, from your experience, what would be the best way to go about that? Yeah, I think, so, again, you're going to spend a lot of time with these people, and you're going to, like, you want to evaluate them very closely. I would say... I first would think about who you know who could help you to start. And like, I would start with personal network and then like warm referrals to the second level. I wouldn't go, I personally wouldn't go use the internet. I mean, I would look on LinkedIn to see who I know who might have these skills, right. but they'd be, they'd be the people that I actually really know. Um, it's, I, you know, it's going to be, it, because everything is so early stage, it's going to be hard to convince someone that, like, they shouldn't take a job right out of undergrad. They should start working on this startup that doesn't pay them, right? Like, so, like, it's really important that you really get in, um, you know, in front of them and you talk with them and you sell them on the vision of the company. You sell them on the future of the company and you show them how they can help you. And, like, they, like, I would be like, look, I would be hanging around the engineering students and I'd be talking about what I'm doing I would say oh yeah I you know I would have something some rough estimate of what things will cost or if, you, if you were saying like I need them to identify how much everything's gonna cost like I need to get my cost of goods sold like down right that's like maybe what your where your head's at I would start I would have something right and I would be like I would be hanging out and just talking about it being like, I, yeah, this is gonna cost this this is gonna cost this this is gonna cost this and like it's gonna be cost this much to fabricate I think I can fabricate it here like what do you think? And if they're like, I don't know, man, and they're not a good fit. <laughs> they might be an engineer, but they're not a good fit. Right, right. right. If they're like, so I would be, yeah, I would be there talking about it. Like one of the advantages of being in a university is that there are people that are studying so many different things around you. Um, and also I wouldn't necessarily assume that you need, for if, that, if it's that kind of stuff, I wouldn't necessarily say you need an engineer. I would, I would consider, like there are other people that, can do things like identify, like that can do sourcing and costing and stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't limit to just people who have like the right major. Um, you know, oh, okay, people. Okay. My first, my first technical co-founder was a history major. He just taught himself how to code, and oh. then he went on to be very high up at Uber and, and you know that kind of stuff. Like he's like people teach themselves. People that are good at technical stuff often teach themselves more than they get taught. Um, that's bad to say I studied mechanical engineering both undergrad and grad school. So I don't know. That's, that's, that's not, a, that's, that's not a good sign. Anyway. Um, no, I, I think, um, yeah, personal connections is, is, you know, you have to be sure that you're going to want to work with this person for long term, even if they're capable of doing the, the task you need and you found them on the on, online or something, it doesn't mean that they're going to be able to work with them for a long time. I think that interpersonal relationship is is so important and potentially more important than than the technical skills they bring because if they're committed and they are smart and they care, they can learn the skills, but 
they can't learn a personality that you're going to want to work with for five years. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Okay. Thank you. I would get, yeah, but get in front of people, man. Like definitely get in front of people. Yeah. Cause right now I'm just a solo founder. So I'm not really sure how to diverge. just like, uh, give out the workload or how do I kind of manage my time with school with work building a team and then yeah basically like from my my uh, formal education is marketing and so I think mm -hmm. I got a good grasp of the business side not as much as a experienced professional but that would be where I would start and then an engineer can help me just yeah manufacture the, the product yeah so I would say you know I, I think one of the things I was saying before was like you have to you want to have some, you want to show traction. And then you also want to show like that, you know, something about what they're doing. So like, if you had the ability to make one of what you want to make, that's awesome. Cause then you can show it to them. Like I did this and I'm specialized in marketing. Like you're an engineer. You could do this better than me. I already have all this other stuff figured out. I have a market figured out. I, I have sales partners. I have a channel. I have a sales channel. I have all this stuff. Like, this is what I'm bringing to the table. Look at this. Like, this is, this is the future, man. Like, I have this set. I need you to do, like, this is what I'm selling. And even though I'm selling something that I made and it's not that good, or even like, here's the design of what I'm making. I don't think it's that good. But even with this poor design, all these people want to buy it. All these people want to invest in it. All these people are going to put it on their shelves tomorrow. As soon as I can, like, make it. Could you help me make it? That's a really easy, like engineers are all about that because they, you know, a lot of them just want to make stuff. They want to see, but they, they want, they know that like, if they make it, it'll be used. People don't like making things that don't get used, that get torn up and get thrown away. Yeah. No one likes making that. So like, if you're coming with all that stuff, then it's an easy pitch. If you're coming to them and saying like, I can do marketing, can you do, can you make this thing? Because once you make it, I'll be able to market it. That's, that's, a, that's a much weaker pitch because they have to take on your word that you're going to be able to do something. So like mm -hmm. in my first company, my roommate co-founder, history major, came to me at a party that we were at and was like, showed me his website that he made. And he was like, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know what to think. But like, I was an engineering major. And I was like, I know how to figure out what I think about this. And so what I did the next day was I took his website, which was supposed to play music, and it played three songs. And I walked to store to store on, in like the shopping region of our town, and I tried to sell it to people. And I tried to get people to sign up. And I was like, well, you know, can I get your, you know, I tried to get credit card information from store managers. I went up to store managers with a website that didn't really work, and I tried to sell it. And I think through that exercise, I proved to him that like I was willing to go out and do the sales. I was like, and I could sell something. And in that exercise also, I learned that people did show some interest in buying it or at least signing up for a free trial if people were interested, right? And I was like, wow, this thing might have legs because he made a website that doesn't really work as a history major. And I went out and tried to sell something and I, it kind of kind of sold. And that, that's proving to each other that like, this is a fit, right? And also that we have a product that people might want. And that was like, that was the forming of the company. It, before that, it didn't exist. Before that, it was like, but he was in his room making a website, right? Because he believed in his future and he came to me with traction and I bought in on that traction. Um, and we knew each other because we were roommates. So like we were aware that we, we, we liked each other. We knew we could live with each other. 
therefore we thought we could work together, uh, which was absolutely true. Um, so I would, you know, if you come to someone with at least like a sketch or design or something, and they have, you know, and they can end some proof points, then, then that's going to be a lot easier sell. Um, and you're going to have like kind of your pick of who you want to join the company. Um, but yeah, if, if someone comes to me and doesn't have anything and says like, I have an idea, that's a massive red flag because that shows no commitment. Like that person didn't, didn't buy in on their own idea enough to build something first. And like, if they're coming to me to form a team and they don't have a thing yet, like I'm, I'm worried. I'm like, I'm right away. I'm worried. I don't ever, I never like hearing what's like, I have this great idea. Like that's a bad start. It's I have this, I'm doing this. Mm. That's the start that you want to have. Right. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's also hard to have that start. So. <laughs> it's not easy, but like none of this is easy. You're, you're starting a company that's going to be worth a hundred million dollars or a billion dollars. It's not going to be easy. So, you know. Do you have any other, any, any more questions? I think, yeah. And the, okay, so that was my experience with Overhead FM. With Elm 16, I was one of the, I was like the first founder. And I think when we started, I was like, we didn't have, we're making a really large physical piece of equipment. I didn't have the ability to make this large piece of equipment. It's gonna cost, it costs, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars to make. So like, I wasn't gonna be able to like come up to them and like hand it to them and be like, look, I've made this thing a hundred thousand dollars. So you had to find, I had to find like, other proof points, other traction points that would show that we had the potential. Um, and in that case, like I went out to go try to find funding. It was like the first thing I did was I was like, I need to get funding from people who are experts because if I'm showing, if I'm telling an engineer that they need to join my company and it's going to cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars to make it. And I'm not coming with a hundred thousand or a few hundred thousand dollars for them to make it. I'm looking like an idiot. So like there, there I was on the other side, even though, again, I was in graduate school as a mechanical engineer while I, while I was making this company. Um, I went out to try to find funding first because I needed to show who I wanted to have as my CTO um, and co-founder that like I could provide the resources for them to do their job because I couldn't like, I couldn't like make it. So I had to show, I had to show some other form of traction. So like traction doesn't have to be the product, even if you're looking for a technical co-founder, it can also be um, just any, any proof that someone believes that you're doing a good thing is a good, you know, I don't want to, we, we like, we believe that other people are also smart. Tend, we tend to think that. And so if, if people believe that something's going to work, then we're more likely to believe it's going to work. So, um, yeah, come with what you can. But even if you can't make it, like, just come with something. <laughs> Coming with something is better than coming with something. All right, thank you. I'm out of here. Yeah. Thank you very right, much. Thank you. Yeah, thank it. you, everyone. I went over by a, over a half hour, so thanks for sticking around. <laughs> thank, too. You thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much. It was uh, really insightful. I like how the leveraging of uh, equity through vesting, it was like a new insight for me. I didn't really know about Yeah, definitely vest. And honestly, if you don't vest, you're going to get forced into it because like no investor wants. So you are, you, I just, I know I just said like, you're not the company, the company is the company, but investors invest tend to, early stage investors tend to invest in people, not in companies. They're not going to like, if you're not investing over a period of time, like you, the 
main the main founder, the sole founder, they they need to see they need to have something that ensures that you're going to stick with the company. If you if they have you with no cliff, or and you're going to walk away with their you know they're not going to put money into the company, so they're going to want to see you best no matter what. So just be ready for that. Um, you probably want to create your own vesting plan so that you start vesting day one of the company instead of the first investor coming in and saying, okay, well, then we're going to start vesting the day of the investment. That's not what you want. Mm-hmm. So you want to start that, you want to start that clock as early as you can. Uh, it gives you a, a bargaining chip down the line saying like, okay, well, you want me to vest four more years, but I want to start with at least the equity I've earned so far or something like that. So you want to, you want to start that vesting clock, uh, clock as early as you can. It also just shows like, if you set up vesting when you start the company, it shows two potential partners and two potential investors that you know what you're doing. You're not like that you're, you know, the rules of the game, you know, you're setting up the company the way that, you know, Airbnb set up their company, you know, you're setting up the company the way that everyone else is setting up their company that's successful. Um, it just shows that it shows a, a level of knowledge level of commitment right yeah okay thank you uh, i need to head out cool. now but yeah, yeah. Hey. hope you have a good yeah, day thank, thank you. you so much yeah. all right thank you everyone for coming we're gonna have another workshop with parker again in two weeks and then see you then everyone all right thank you is there a way you could send me your slides so I yeah, let me, I'll do that now. Wanted it. Yeah, you can just send me it through your email. Okay. Yeah, that's it. It's, yeah. Cool. Um, great. Yeah, I didn't see any more questions. There aren't any questions in the chat. Yeah, cool. All right. Thanks. All right, thank see you. you. See you soon. You too.